Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Sam Delaney, and this is The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. This week, something a bit different. Paul Hales is a listener to The Reset who got in touch earlier this year to tell me the story of his recent cancer diagnosis. Paul's in his 50s, originally from Manchester, but now he lives in Melbourne with his wife and kids. He works in a hospital as an anaesthetist. Last year, he found out quite suddenly that he had stage 4 cancer. While it was obviously an extremely serious physical problem, Paul wanted to tell me about the mental aspect of receiving that kind of news. As macabre as it might sound, I was fascinated to hear a first-hand account of what it's like facing up to a cancer diagnosis. What are the biggest emotional and mental challenges? What do you tell your kids? How do you get to sleep at night? We hear a lot about resilience, but how do you actually practice it in a situation like this? Honestly, this might sound like it's going to be a tough listen, but I found talking to Paul really compelling. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Paul, welcome to The Reset, mate. Thanks, Sam. It's a pleasure to have you and a real uh, privilege that you reached out and, you know, were willing to share uh, this story, which um, has a lot of pain in it. Um, Let's just get straight into it. Tell me about the day where you discovered you had stage four cancer. That's right. So, Sam, an odd day because it started off with I'd had this lump on my back, which uh, I'd been to see someone about and was in a position where I couldn't actually see it, but it was not that big. I'd shown it to pe- people. I, I, I work in a hospital. I'm an anaesthetist. And um, I showed it to a couple of the surgeons, so looked and felt like a lipoma, which is just a soft tissue, benign sort of lump, which... Mm. Is not a big deal, and you you get it taken off if it's uncomfortable, and you, and and you can just leave them sometimes. Mm. So it was around the time where COVID was started, and the the all the elective operations were getting cancelled. So there was no mad rush to get this thing taken off. So it got delayed for a couple of weeks, and it, um, in in and then it got pushed back another couple of weeks. And so it was probably about six weeks after my wife said she thought it was getting a bit be- a bit bigger. I couldn't feel anything, but. 
Um, so I just went to the surgeon. I spoke to him and I said, who, who I work with and who's a good mate of mine. And I said, and he said, look, just have a scan, just an ultrasound scan and we'll see. Basically, that was to decide whether I could have it done under local anaesthetic, whether it was small enough or whether I'd have to have a full general anaesthetic. Mm-hmm. That was the only reason to have this scan. So I went to have the ultrasound scan up, up at the hospital where I work and um, I the the, uh, the there was a student ultrastenographer who I'd sort of seen around and he, he asked me, did I mind if he did it? And I said, no, nah, you know, you do it. And thinking this is going to take 10 minutes, I'll be in and out. They started the ultrasound. He went and got his boss, obviously, because something didn't look right. They, uh, I could sort of, it was all behind me, obviously, but they started looking. I could tell that they were looking at Dopplers, which is what shows blood flow. And if it's a lipoma, it shouldn't really have blood flow. So I knew then from what they were just talking amongst themselves, I had a feeling that something wasn't quite right. Mm. So they went and got the consultant radiologist, again, who's a good mate of mine, who's an English guy who I work with. And he came in and looked at this ultrasound. And then we, you know, the ultrasound finished. He looked at me and he said, look, this is, you know, it's not a lipoma. Um, When I said to him, well, you know, what does it look like? What do you think, you know, off the top of your head, what does it look like? He said, it looks like a certain sort of muscle tumour. So, you know, I was thinking, you know, that's not great, you know, and muscle tumours aren't particularly good um, in terms of you have to have big operations and, you know, even the prognosis of muscle tumours isn't always fantastic. It's a pretty nasty tumour to have. So I was sure trying to process that. And the, the first stage would be to then have a whole body CT to basically see if if it's confined to the one spot or if it's spread elsewhere. So yeah. you, have, you have sort of a CT, brain, chest, abdomen, pelvis mm. to look for anything anything else that's there, you know, or what's what's going on basically. So I essentially went straight in to the to the uh, CT department where again, you know, I know all the people who work there, that I know all the nursing staff and the radiography staff because we see them a lot down in the operating theatres and they come and take x-rays down there and I've worked in this place for 10 years or so, you know, so I'm it was a bit weird for them because I'm just suddenly, I'm still in my work, you know, still in my work clothes and gone in to have this, you know, scan. So um, I have the scan come off the come off the scanning table and uh my mate who's the radiologist uh comes into the room where I was and he was in tears so so I was thinking yeah that's not a good sign <laughs> so you know <laughs> so um so yeah so I said well what's this you know what's the story and he said it's not a muscle tumor it's that's a secondary from a kidney tumor a big kidney tumor and come through and I'll show you the scans. So we went into the little, their little sort of back room where they have this, where they look at the scans and he sort of walked me through the CT scans and, um, you know, I'm an anaesthetist. We're not by any means experts, but you can see the obvious things. And essentially there was, I actually said to him at one point, um, you know, can you just show me the bits where there isn't any tumour? It might be easier because wow. it was in lots, it all lots of little ones in the lungs, uh, lots of uh, tumours in muscles all over my body, neck and shoulders and backside, and um, yeah, lots of them, more than thirty of these muscle tumours and lots in the lungs and uh, nothing in the brain, which is what 
where it usually goes to first, which was a bonus. Mm. Um, and you sort of, that's all I was sort of taking out of it at that point. You know, well, my brain's clear. <laughs> which is a bit of an odd thing to think, isn't it? You know, but I don't know. That just came into my head at the time. And then my wife was actually, she's a nurse and she was working at the hospital on the day. So then, of course, I've got this, because this had all happened in the space of maybe, you know, less than an hour probably. And to be clear, uh, when you went in that morning, you didn't have serious anxiety about this at all. This was, there was no, no you thought this was just a casual little routine, have it looked at. Just, um, just to see if I could have it just to, just to see if I could have it done under local. And, you know, so then I can just drive to the drive to the hospital, have it done, drive home, or whether I'd have to have it done under general, because it was going to be on the following week. So it wasn't even really. So you went from naught to 10. I guess a lot of people, when they're diagnosed with cancer, have a little bit of, they have time, which might be a good or bad thing, to sort of get it into their head. You get anxious, you go for your results, you know there's something a bit dodgy. Whereas you were like, there's nothing wrong here at all. No other symptoms other than this lump. And then, no, and, no then and, yeah. and what you're saying is it started in your, your kidney and 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 spread without you noticing and you were riddled with it basically. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Terrifying, yeah. mate. What um, yeah, you, so, so you're, you're so right, what, mate. You were, the... you, you're saying about your wife, sorry. No, yeah. So she she was down, she obviously uh, rang down to the operating theatre she works down there and asked if they could send if she could come up you know because I needed to speak to her so then um she came in with me when I was speaking to the um x-ray people you know and obviously it was all a bit of a shock and they don't they, obviously they you know they don't want to make any dis- other than what it is they're not going to say you know that it's not their field to say what the treatment is or what's going to happen from here you know so the surgeon who originally um, who originally um, had was going to take the lump off the back, who was a you know a general surgeon, he wasn't a kidney surgeon or anything. So he uh, came up to see me, obviously because they'd rung him and said this is what's happened, and um, you know he's now crying as well. So there's Jesus. <laughs> so there's loads of people crying, yeah. So then you know I start thinking, well, you know. Um, the main thing you think about then, Sam, is that I, my initial feeling was that this looked to be so widespread that, you know, I was thinking there's not, you know, they're not going to be able to do anything about this. This is a sort of, you know, the picture you get, as you said, when someone's, ri- what they'd say, riddled with cancer, you know, but there's, it was in lots of dangerous places. And um, I, I initially thought, well, this is sort of, you know, looking like a few weeks um Wow. Rather than anything longer than that, you know. So yeah, that was um as a medical professional, do you think that's do 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 you think that being a medical professional made it easier or harder? Easier in as much as you know, you're used to being around this sort of news. Yeah. I yeah. guess, or you understand it more than many of us will, or worse, yeah. because you, you've got complete clarity on of what it means and, and, and there's no sugar coat in it. Yeah. I think a bit of both, mate, is the honest answer. I think the not having to wait around, like you were saying before, not having that, you know, go and see your GP, they refer you how, you know, it would normally happen. They refer you to go and have a scan. You, you have the scan, then you have to go and see a specialist and they'll go, go through the scan with you and 
that, as you said, that process could take, you know, weeks, even if you're doing it quickly. Mm. Whereas, the, so I think not having to go through all that was good, mm. you know, on balance. But the, the, uh, so ha- having a little bit of knowledge is not necessarily a good thing. So although I could see, you know, all this cancer and where it was and what, what it was, I had no idea at that time, you know, what the, what I would have to go through in terms of treatment. I, I obviously I worked in intensive care in London for a long mm. time, Sam, and, you know, obviously you see the end results of this sort of thing, but um, it doesn't end well. Yeah. So uh, that was, yeah. So that was um, confronting. Yeah. Like you say, I think that that side of it was that I did have knowledge of how bad it was, but I didn't know if there was going to be anything they'd be able to do about it. So, yeah. So that was a worrying wait until I found out if I could start, if I could have any treatment or not, you know. And how did you tell your wife? Did you, did you go and find us straight away and tell us straight? Yeah, I think so. It was all a bit of a blur, Sam, you know, um, because I'd literally just found out myself and I was, you know, I was explaining it to her as I was sort of processes, processing it myself. So um, I, I honestly can't, re- I can't remember the exact moment of it all, you know, the, um, or, or I remember her crying and hugging me and, you know, I was trying to sort of keep it together really, you know, and sort of, because everyone else was crying. I thought, well, one of us probably shouldn't cry for the moment. I'll do it later on. So, um, yeah, that was, it was um, a bit of a blur as to exactly what um, I remember talking to her in the car on the way home uh, more than I do telling her about the actual time. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, a, it was a, an unpleasant day. And then, of course, you know, the kids were all at home, you know, and that, as far as they knew, I was just, going for an ultrasound and then going to work. So they they uh, had no in- inkling of what was going on. So tell us about, uh, just tell us about your kids and how old they are so, and stuff like that. I've got three, so I've got three, two girls and a boy. So my eldest has just turned 21, got one who just turned 19 and one, my son is the youngest. He turned 17 last week. Right. So they were sort of, you know, late teens, essentially. Uh, so they were pretty grown up, but you yeah, had to, you had to go home and face them that evening and work out what to say, right? Work out what to say. Trying to, I was trying to work out what to say on the way home on the, in the car, you know. Mm. But again, um, luckily, you know, I'll say luckily, but I, I, I'd never, I'd only, I'd been very lucky with, uh, never having been ill before up until this point, right? Apart from at the very end of last year sort of um the, of the year before I should say I got this sort of weird illness for a few weeks and they didn't really know what it was and anyway to cut the long story short it all got better on its own after a few weeks it was probably the precursor to all this right but anyway we didn't it didn't get picked up for whatever reason not through anyone's fault just the symptoms didn't match up with anything really specific yeah but because it was quite odd because I'd been ill and I was sort of I was sort of not bed bound, but I was sort of in bed for a couple of days on well at the height of it. When I got better, I'd actually um, had good chats with all the kids about, you know, the fact that people, some people, you know, their mom or dad goes out to work in the morning and gets knocked over and doesn't come home. 
you know, and it, the fact is, you know, and, and trying to and print on them that if anything did happen to me or if it did ever end up getting to be anything bad, that I didn't want it to be something which completely ruined their lives. You know, I wanted them to know that as far as I, as far as I was concerned, I, I had a brilliant life and, mm. you know, somebody dying of when, you know, children dying and people dying at a young age when they've not really had much of a chance to mm. live any life is a, is a terrible tragedy, you know, but mm. what I was trying to say to them was if I were to die now, mm. yeah, obviously I don't want to and I'd rather stick around for a bit, but it's not a tragedy in that way. And I've had a fantastic time and I wanted them to know that and how much of a part of it they were. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was sort of a bit weird. And they were all going, oh, shut up, dad, you know, you're getting better yeah. now. You know, and stop being a, stop being, <laughs> stop being a, you know, drama queen. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was funny. So I'd, I'd already that's, sort of had that's a really moving, mate. And I've never thought yeah. about a chat like that with my own yeah. kids who are younger, but it really, that's had a big effect on me listening to you say that because, yeah. you know, ill or not ill, that's something that I, I think most dads think about privately, yeah. don't we? About they do. what are, cool. I mean, I've got friends whose parents died when they were quite young and mm. I've seen the impact that's had on the rest of their lives and, that, and how awful it is. And yeah, maybe that is a conversation where there's a balance, isn't there, with kids between there is. you don't want to make wanna... them feel scared or insecure, do you? Of course, of course, mate. That's exactly mm. it. But the thing was, I think because at the time, in last year, they didn't really know what it was. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, this could all go to shit pretty easily. So, you, you know, but um, anyway, as it turned out, it didn't. But you, but I think the other thing, going back to what you were saying about being in the medical profession is that I worked in, in intensive care for a long time, Sam, from my 20s, you know. And mm. I think a lot of people who work in medicine and especially in emergency department or in ICU or in areas where, you know, people die, all, yeah. all the time, a lot, you know, and 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 some of it's expected and some of it's unexpected. And so you get that sense of more your own mortality, if, right. if for want of a better word, from from young in your life. And and uh it it's um it's something which you face up to from work. And so you can't, you know, you you, you if you as long as you, you know as long, if you don't have your, your head in the sand, you realize pretty early on that things can go, you know, badly wrong very quickly. And I just wanted my kids to know that if that were the case, then like you say, I've seen, I've seen it go where it's people have been unable to get on with their lives afterwards. And I, I didn't, I, I dreaded that happening mm. to my kids. You know, I would hate that to happen. You know, that would be the, the that would be the, the, the worst thing that could come of all this. Would it, would, would, that's the thing you worry about most, you know? They but, say um, that we, we don't mm. really talk about death enough in our yeah. sort of Western society. And I think that's true. And I don't, you know, I haven't been exposed to a huge amount of death or grief. Both my parents are still alive, touch wood at the moment. And, yeah. Yeah. and you know, I've lost grandparents and that's it. Mm. I've, I've seen other people when I was younger lose, lose parents and people close to them. But it's so terrifying do you do you feel that you know your experience of working in intensive care and, and like you say witnessing death it was in some ways a good thing do you think that your head 
is just better able to process that and and you think it's a good thing to be more familiar with death from an early age as as perverse as that sounds I, I know exactly what you mean mate but I do yeah I think it's been helpful I think it's been helpful because you don't see a 52 year old dying as being a terrible tragedy mm. it, you know it, it's a di- you know there's there's different no nobody of course you know I'd love to be in ripe old age and be in my eighties and still be, you know, kicking a ball around out the front. But yeah, the fact of the matter is, is that you know you you see a lot of terrible things happen to tragic things happen to people who've never had a chance to, you know, live have any experiences really. Yeah, and uh, and you know when you when you see that you know there's the old, you know you don't I don't want to be the old oh you know it could be worse type thing. But the fact of the matter is, it could be worse, you know, for and it is worse for a lot of people. So, you know, in some ways, I think, yeah, it has helped a lot in that respect. Yeah. And of course, your wife's a nurse. Is that right? right so, yeah. so, you, so presumably you both bring similar attitudes and mindsets, to this sort of thing. And it's something you can talk about with each other. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, 100%, mate, even going into things like organ donation and, you know, that they were conversations we I had with my kids when they were quite young and, you know, explain the whole process and, you know, that that someone else, you know, a, a young kid might, you know, get to live if you, you know, those sort of things, you yeah. know, and just have the conversation because I think kids aren't as scared of it as we are some, sometimes. And I think yeah. it's something that you uh, don't make into too much of a, you know, Taboo. Too much taboo, yeah. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be totally morose about it, and stuff, no. you know, constantly be going on about your own, you know. But what yeah. you, I think, I think part of it is, is that you, you know, appreciate what you've got and try and, I say to him, look, just, you know what I mean? Just enjoy yourselves. Try and get as much out of, yeah, out of, out of life as you can, because that's otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, you know, and they they've they, they've got quite uh, you know, f- fortunately, and you know, I'm sure it's not to do with me, but I'm sure, but it's they um, think they've got quite a healthy attitude to that sort of thing, and I hope they have. Yeah. yeah. What happened next? T- tell me first about that conversation with your kids that evening. Yeah, so that was um, the, the hardest, of course, Sam, the hardest of the, of of the lot of conversations that you have to have, you know, this um, afterwards. And I think the conversations of all the stuff that you go through is is the worst bit, really, because it's, you know, you're having to tell the same story over and over and over again. But when I told the kids, I think at first, and I spoke to them today, actually, just to ask them what, they remember of the time and what they actually took in out of what I said. And I actually asked them what I'd said to them because I couldn't quite remember how it was. Mm. I remember where we got them all together in the, in the front room. And I said, look, I've got to tell you something. It's not very not, you know, it's not good. And, you know, then my eldest, especially we knew that something bad was going on, you know? And Mm. so that I think I then just said, look, you know, the lump wasn't what we thought it was. It's a nasty, it's a, it's it's from another cancer that spread to that. Mm. And, you know, it's not great. And I've got to find out, I've got to have some more tests and I've got to, I didn't go through the whole, you know, the statistics say you've got a, like, you know, 8% chance of being alive next year or whatever it is, you know, but I've sort of, introduced that sort of severity of it probably over the next few days, I think. 
Uh, initially, it was just to sort of get it out there, and so they knew that something bad had happened. And without going into sort of any too much detail, and of course, I didn't, I wasn't one hundred percent sure myself, and what what was going to happen or how it was all going to pan out. What was um, their What was their reaction like? Do you remember? Yeah, I remember that. Well, we just sort of had a bit of a group hug, you know, and. Um, they, you know, my eldest, I remember she was crying and I think the middle one and my son, my son, especially, he was sort of trying to look after his sisters and his mom, which was, you know, of course, made me very proud. But, you know, I could tell, obviously, yeah, I think everyone had a bit of a cry and, yeah, I think that's, they more realised the severity of it by how, you know, Joe was. And, of course, you know, I don't usually speak to them with that level of seriousness about anything. So, uh, yeah, that was tough, mate. That was def- definitely difficult. Yeah, yeah. And and what, what happened next then, mate? Because at this stage, obviously, your, your hopes were not, not great about, no. about the future. What, what was the next stage? So the next stage was get a, get a biopsy of it and find out exactly what type of cancer, which type of kidney cancer it is, because some... Some are better than others, if you know what I mean. There's different types, and some can have treatment, and some respond better to certain types of treatment. And the the initial thing was, first of all, tri- yes or no to treatment, whether it was too far gone type thing, you know. And secondly, whether it was a good, you know, whether it was one that it's likely to respond or not. And I sort of got half good news, but I had a bit of an interesting morning on the. So it was on the. I had a, had the biopsy on the Friday, and this was on the Monday. They were going to ring them with the results at 9am, they said. Mm. No later than 9am. So, anyway, I'm waiting around 9am, 10am goes by 11, and it's like sort of 12 by the time the phone still hasn't rung. So I, I, I was honestly convinced myself that, because, of course, I know I know the guys who were involved, you know, I thought one of them was going to rock up at the door and sort of tell me in person, you know, that it wasn't, going to be able to do anything so that was yeah that was tricky um but they anyway they rang and said eventually rang and said look it's this particular type you can have you can start immunotherapy but um when i spoke to the oncologist they said that your particular type is unlikely to respond because it's very aggressive and it's Mm. um it may respond on it but the, the you know what we because these drugs are all very new, you know, to said the one, a lot of the ones that have, that we've had with this particular type don't do particularly well with this type of immunotherapy. So, but this, and, and this uh, immunotherapy is, is different to chemotherapy, but it's the more, it, yeah, and presumably only works for certain cancers or is this just Correct. now where the yeah. whole medical profession is, is going, oncology is going towards immunotherapy rather than radiotherapy? For certain types, right. for, for certain types of cancer only, Sam, that's the thing. So, yeah, so certain types of cancer respond to chemotherapy or radiation therapy, but kidney cancer, before all this, before immunotherapy started maybe 10 years ago, didn't respond to chemo and didn't respond to radiotherapy. So when you got it, that essentially there was no treatment, you know, right. not until, re- until relatively recently. But they've made huge strides in all this immunotherapy. So using the body's own immune system to try and fight the cancer, so mm. trying to stop the cancer from um, evading the immune system, basically. Yeah. But what it give, what it does is it sort of then you, it overstimulates the immune system. So the side effects you do get while being definitely better than chemotherapy, as far as I'm aware, 
that tend to target your um, organs which have um, hormones. So, you know, your thyroid gland, your adrenal glands, and you get all these sort of hormonal problems. So, yeah, but obviously on the whole, um, I was very lucky because I had a good response because they'd initially said um, it's not worth taking the kidney out because by the time you sort of recover from a big operation like this, you, you know, you know, probably not going to have that much time to get better. So right. best to best not to take the kidney out, which I was, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think a lot of people who get cancer feel the same. You sort of, it's quite a strong feeling that you want it out, you know, because that was, the, that was almost like the mother tumor. Exactly. That right. How it was. So there's a mother tumor that's sort of pumping out the, the cancerous cells, so, to the rest of the body. Exactly right. So right. in my view, and, you know, a sort of common sense view, isn't it? If, you, if that stays in, then all you're mm. doing is biding time. You've got no chance of getting better. Whereas, you know, if they'll at least take the primary tumour out, like you say, you've got a small chance, but it's not zero, you know. Yeah. So my initial my initial sort of goal was to get to the point where I could get the kidney out. <clears throat> which they said they, that they would do only if I responded to the immunotherapy, you know. Right. So and they, was, and, yeah. and they, were, they were saying the chances of that are low. That's what they thought. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So how long, so you started doing this, this immunotherapy and, and how long did it yeah. take for you to respond to it, for you to get news? So it was, it, so after the first diagnosis, Sam, it was really strange. So I had literally had no symptoms on, uh, apart from the night before I went in for the scan, <clears throat> I'd had these sort of night sweats. I'd never had them before. And I just thought, oh, you know, they have left the heating on or something. And I didn't yeah. really think anything of it. They then progressed over the next week to the extent. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Where I was in big trouble. I couldn't keep, um, I was severely dehydrated. You know, I couldn't keep enough, keep up with the fluid I was losing. Yeah. And all these muscle tumors then started to um, sort of ache. This is all in a few days. Wow. So every time I, if I sat down, I felt like I was sitting on pieces of wood. And then <clears throat> I was getting these, uh, because I was having these night sweats, I was shivering mm. a lot. And the, every time I shivered, of course, your muscles are all contracting. And so it was absolute agony within the space wow. of 
So I'd gone from being going to the gym, you know, yeah, to to literally almost not being able to get off the couch because I was in so much pain, and I just dropped maybe I don't know ten kilos in a week, and I think a lot of it was fluid, you know, just because I couldn't um, couldn't control these night sweats. So then started the immunotherapy on the following sort of a, a week. It took about a week to get it all sorted out. And then um, by which stage I was in dire straits, you know, I was in a bad way. And, um, but within, I reckon, within about a week of the immunotherapy starting, I'd started to feel a bit better. The night sweats stopped. Wow. Uh, like almost straight away. Yeah. Within maybe five or six days, they stopped, which was, that was the biggest relief because they, they'd given me this terrible rash, which was like itchy. Mm. And, you know, the itch, the itch was worse than the pain. So, you know, it was mm. driving me mad. So that, of course, when the sweat stopped, that all stopped. So that was a massive relief. Yeah, and then things, I started to feel a bit better in myself, you know, and got a bit more energy and pain was a little bit less and went for, um, you know, went back to see the oncologist and they sent me for some scans after about six months after the initial diagnosis and... Yeah, it it had worked a lot better than they thought it would work. So it it cleared almost all of the long ones, apart from a small couple of small ones. Wow! And it they couldn't find any of the muscle tumors. They'd sort of disappeared, and and it, and that's how it felt. You know, I couldn't feel I couldn't feel them myself. The lump went on the back, went from being a sort of sort of. By the end, it was like a before I started therapy, it was sort of fist sized, and it disappeared. It's gone. Incredible. And, um, yeah. That's incredible. And, and do, when you started to – so you say you waited six months for those tests, but during those six months, because you started to feel so much better in yourself, did you start to feel mentally more positive and confident? Did you sort of know this is working? Yeah, definitely. Because the oncologist had said to me, look, you know, the good thing about having that big lump, lump on your back is well, – because they're all – the tumors, including the sort of primary tumor or the mother tumor, you know, they're all the same cell type. So yeah. if it's work, if it's working on the one on the back, then it'll probably be working on the other ones as well. Right. So I sort of had it, you know, and as it started to shrink and as I started to feel better, yeah, you know, the kids didn't call me hunchback as much. And okay. I started to feel like maybe something was working. The other thing was I started getting all these other side effects. So like bad arthritis and, my thyroid and th other things started happening. And although that was made me quite sick on and off, um, put, uh, got, put me in hospital with some imbalances, which, um, but everybody kept saying to me, look, I know this sounds bad, but it's a good sign that you're having the side effects because it's showing that it's stimulating the immune system and it's affecting a lot of the organs in your body, which are involved with the immune system. And yeah, it may not feel like it's good, but it's actually what we do know about it is often that you respond a bit better if you get these side effects. Right. Well, that was made them easier to handle, you know? Yeah. Um, it, so you're getting this pain, but at least you're thinking, well, it's a good pain in inverted commas, if you know what I mean. How, so, um, how, how did you bear up for all this? Cause it feels to me from the way you've described it is the initial stages, that first day and few days that followed were like a whirlwind. Yep. Um, and, and, and then once post starting the therapy quite swiftly, you had sort of something to cling to some positivity to cling to. 
I guess exactly from, right. from what I'm hearing is there must have the, the, the period between those times though must have been was that the time where did, you know what was your anxiety like? Was it possible to stop speculating and stop worrying? Um, I was very lucky, mate. My brother came out from England and his wife came out. They got these. They got compassionate visas and came out. They had to do two weeks in uh, hotel quarantine. Right. But they came out and that was a bit of a lifesaver because you know it, we were. We our own our own little family group. Of course, you know we were all over the place. You know, mm. I was really sick. Joe was, you know, trying to keep everyone together and keep it all together, and yeah. you know, with their own, with their all their own worries. And um, my brother came and sort of it really helped in terms of because he's like my best mate, you know. So he he was just having someone around who would, I didn't have to, you know, we'd shared flats together and all in the past, and yeah. You know, so he, he he helped me a lot in terms of just taking my mind off things, and you know, if he he'd see if I was starting to go down a wormhole, he'd sort of get me out of it, and um, and 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 Joe did, my wife did as well. That you know, everyone, I was trying to I was trying to describe to someone what it was like, and it, it sort of felt like you're hanging onto a cliff edge, Sam. Yeah. But sometimes, like people would like hold you hold you up. <laughs> And yeah. then other times, at night times, you're back on your own, clinging on. God, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's an odd feeling, you know. It's an odd feeling because you sort of – I had the goal of trying to get to that point where I could get the kidney out, you know. But, of course, it's all – that's a bit of a, you know, abstract goal, isn't it? Because you know, I did had no idea what was going on other than, yeah, I was getting a bit better. But also I was still, you know, not couch-bound, but not far off it in terms of – other side effects. So, um, and what, what about like in terms of, you know, obviously you are very scared, but you're you're thinking about your loved one's mental health, like you're thinking yeah. about your your wife and your kids. So, yeah. did you did you feel did you put yourself under pressure to sort of almost put on a bit more of a braver face in order to sort of protect them? Um, I was asking my kids about that today, Sam, because um, I don't feel like I did. Mm. They said that my daughters both said that they thought that I was putting a brave face on it to right. try and protect them. Mm. Um, I felt that I was I was a bit um, more down than they said I was, but I don't know if we're all misremembering it, you know. Mm. The hard bits, <clears throat> I... I, I um, I've got a brother a year older and a brother a year younger, Sam, and we shared a room till I went to university, you know. So yeah. I always had people around and I don't never ever cope, not nothing cope, but I prefer being in company than being on my own type thing, you know. And a lot of these symptoms were happening at a night time and you, you can't be just waking everyone up to, you know, tell them you feel like shit. You yeah. know. So you you're often awake at night feeling terrible and that's the hard that was the hard time not to go down you know, every little wormhole of, you know, and none of them ended in particularly good places. So, um, yeah, that was, that was difficult. And especially I was on a quite high dose of steroids at the time as well. So that on its own sends your mind racing and uh, makes it difficult to sleep. And I think, you know, yourself, you know, everything's worse if you get no sleep. So, you know, 
yeah. especially mentally, isn't it? You know, you you can't concentrate, and then you sort of feel like you're every you know, for every small, mm. even small things, kind yeah. of can totally overwhelm you when you've had a bad night's sleep. So yeah. God knows what it's like when you you're wrestling with the sort of stuff that you had to uh, deal with. You know, yeah. yeah. Sleep, but a lot of it, it's funny, Sam. A lot of it becomes about sort of you know not minutiae, but you worry about like financial things, you know, and yeah. that sort of panics you a bit, you know. And then you know you're worrying about you know what your your son's uh, got to do his choices for school next week and what we're going to do about that, you know. And all you know, yeah. you just go into these go into problems which aren't really unsurmountable, but they suddenly become these huge, you know. Um, difficult problems that you can't quite get your head around. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's probably because you got other stuff going on and you can't, yeah, can't seem to focus on the one thing. Once, once the treatment kicked in, though, and the side effects started to ease, did that mean that mentally you were able to be a bit calmer and sleep better and things? Yeah, sleep's still a problem, Sam. Right. But I, I definitely feel calmer. Um, Generally, and I think that the, the, to be honest, that even from the beginning, I felt on a person on an actual what's going to happen to me, I felt quite calm about the whole thing. You what you what sort of panics you more is what's going to happen, how everyone else is going to be, you know, especially the kids, you know. Mm. Um, and that's what takes up a lot of your negative thoughts, I think, or for me, it was anyway, rather than the specifics of you know, what's going to happen to me. Um, yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's funny. That. Yeah, it's funny. You, 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 that sort of almost becomes something which is just there in the background, but it's not, you know, anything you, you really, because you just got, for me, I just knew that I had to take that as it came. There was no point, or, and there's no, there's, there's no point, there's no point panicking about the medical stuff because I knew that, you know, you just got to try and get to the next bit, get onto the next bit and take it as it comes. But with the kids, it's all, you know, there's so many variables, how they're going to, how it's going to affect them, how they're going to, how it's going to affect them in the short term and how it's going to affect them in the long term and all that sort of, you know, mm. all that mm. stuff. That's, mm. That was, uh, that's what, that's what's more difficult to handle, I reckon. And did you find yourself talking to them about stuff like that, or did you try to hold it back from them? I just, I, you know, what Sam, I try and do sort of terrible cancer dad jokes, right. which was, <laughs> which is sort of almost always the wrong uh, approach. <laughs> so <laughs> it sort of make me feel a bit better, but often they sort of laugh, sort of, but in that way, like you know, that's not funny, and don't ever say that again. You know, type thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know that laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We've all had it as dads, haven't yeah, we? But yeah, yeah, yeah. even to the, even to a greater extent. Yeah, normal. you were taking it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> that touch too far, Sam. Yeah. Although um, I did hear a good one that Norm Macdonald, you know the the. Oh Canadian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you hear? That's I did get a laugh even out of my eldest daughter with that one. He had a great one. He had a great joke about it where he said, "Yeah." He goes, as far as I know, the battle with cancer, you know, people keep telling me I've got a battle with cancer and uh, I'm going to lose this battle. He goes, but as far as I know, when I die, the cancer also dies. So that's not a defeat. It's a draw. (laughs) (laughs) Really good. That's brilliant. Um, So what what was the next stage? They said, okay, we can sanction 
the removal of this kidney, yeah? And it was exactly that. Yeah, that was the biggest day, Sam. That was the great day, you know, when they... Because there's, there's a guy up in Melbourne called Professor Ben Tran, who's like the top kidney cancer guy in the probably right. in the country. Yeah. Mm. And um, he essentially personally gave it the go-ahead, um, which was great. You know, he said he'd support it. And he, essentially, you've got to get the support of the medical team before the surgeons will take your kidney out, really. Yeah. They give the go-ahead, then, you know, you can have the operation type thing. So, yeah, so that happened in just before Christmas last year, end of the year. So, but I was really looking forward to that, you know, in a strange sort of way. That was, a, <laughs> yeah. that was, a, it was, it was actually quite good times, you know, Yeah. in a strange sort of way. Because the kids, one of my good mates has got a uh, an apartment in in the uh, Eureka Tower, which is like a big sort of skyscraper in the middle of Melbourne. Mm. So he's got this beautiful apartment there. And so the kids were all staying there. So they were having a great laugh. You know, they just right. thought, and they're walking up to the hospital, you know, but they, yeah, it, it was funny. It was uh, because I'd been wanting it for such a long time. We tried to make it into a bit, you know, and because I've always worked in hospitals and stuff, the, mm. the surroundings are familiar, you know, even though it wasn't yeah. the hospital where I work or I'd never worked there, but you sort of, you know, the ins and outs of the workings of a hospital, you know, so it's mm. not, a worrying thing, really. Apart from I had the helipad next to my window, which was a yeah. bit, uh, for the yeah. emergency people. Being like, um, and and presumably you feel very safe. Was it? Sorry, was it your own hospital that you were in? No, no, no. But I didn't. The only reason I didn't get it done at our hospital, Sam, was because I, I, I don't know if I was said this the other day, but I, I actually anaesthetized one of my best mates mm. um, for a cancer operation a few years ago, could, only because he asked me to do it. Mm. You know, but he directly they asked me to do it and um of course you know you agreed to do it and it all went fine you know there was no problems but it was really it was very stressful you know um and i didn't i wasn't in that same he was in good health you know and he he had a cancer that had to be removed but he didn't have any other problems hadn't got spread anywhere or Mm. he was in good nick you know so there was unlikely to be problems whereas i wasn't quite as well and i didn't want to any of my sort of work friends you know i've been there for 10 years so to have to sort of you know have that pressure to do it so and also you know um so we decided to have it done elsewhere put the royal melbourne hospital up in town so that Mm. was um yeah and i had a fantastic surgeon so but essentially yeah I, i made a good recovery and um, and since then, so that was just before last Christmas. Since then, yes. so that so that obviously was a big step forward, and you just continued with the immunotherapy after that. Went straight back onto it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then and that started. And 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 how often were you updated on how things were going? So I was getting immunotherapy every two weeks, mm. and the plan was to have scans unless anything changed, you know, unless you start feeling bad again, but if you're feeling fine, you know, or if things are going well, then they'd scan you every three months initially. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I went back onto the treatment, but uh, unfortunately then often these, the, the side effects of these things are sort of cumulative. So this, the arthritis started getting really bad. And um, to the extent where I couldn't really walk or do much, couldn't hold a cup, couldn't hold a cop, you know, couldn't take the top of a bottle and of milk or something, you know, or 
couldn't really do anything. I was all uh, essentially like a like a sort of hundred year old. You know, my mates were calling me Captain Tom. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so except he was a lot more mobile than me. Yeah, but, yeah. So I had to stop the treatment because of that, um, which was that wasn't you know that was very nerve wracking because although the side effects were terrible, yeah, I was thinking, well, you know, they've already said it's aggressive and that even with the treatment, it may come back. So now I'm having to stop the treatment. And also the the treatment for the arthritis was all, you know, steroids and other drugs which reduce the immune system. So wow. sort of doing the opposite so it a, of what you... It was a big decision then. Was it put completely your decision? It wasn't the doctors, did they advise it or did you just say, look, I just can't take these side effects anymore? It was, I wanted to carry on. Yeah, they sort of wouldn't let me carry on. They said, uh-huh. look, <clears throat> you're going to do yourself serious damage here. Because I'd already had this, what they call a uh, pneumonitis, um, which is like where it attacks the lungs, you, where your own where your own immune system's attacking the lungs. And they said, look, you know, if you keep pushing it, you're going to end up with it damaging the other kidney or something. And then you're in, you know, that's mm. the end of it then. So, mm. yeah. So it, it was, um, that was difficult. Yeah, but. Um, yeah. When, 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 when would you usually after the the sort of primary tumor has been removed and yeah. the therapy seems to be putting everything else into remission? What what's the usual point at which they would have said to you, "You can stop now"? So they so they initially said two years. Yeah. So when I right. when I saw them after the operation, they said, "Right, what we'll do is we'll put you back on it for two years," because. A lot of the uh, stats they've got on this particular immunotherapy is from um, melanomas. They've been using it for melanomas mm-hmm. for maybe 10 or 15 years. So they've got a bit more experience as to what happens with patients who are taking it. So they're, they're sort of extrapolating a lot of their stuff from melanoma stuff. So they said, well, what we found is if you stay on it for two years, that probably gives you the best chance of, you know, staying off it or it not coming back for longer. So if you can tolerate it so for two years, but I only tolerated it for another couple of months after that. Yeah. Yeah. Which was disappointing, you know, because up to that point, I'd had a few blips, but nothing major, you know. But and and yeah. so and since so that would have been what early this year? February. Yeah. February. Yeah. And so since then you're what you're going back for scans every so few they months. Said, essentially, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they essentially said, look, you know, if nothing changes, if you don't feel anything different, we'll scan you in three months. In the meantime, the plan was to try and get on top of all the other side effects, you know, the arthritis and that, and get my, get myself a bit more mobile. And then if it does come, if and when it comes back, then I'll be able to go back on treatment, whether it's the same one or a different one. I think they'll probably decide at the time, you know, but that's almost inevitable at some point. So but, how how do you feel about it today? Well, at the beginning, Sam, I didn't think my initial thoughts were I'd be lucky to get to Christmas of last year. Yeah. Then it was, you know, um, trying to take things in small blocks, you know, trying to, and I know it sounds daft, but things like, you know, get to the Euros Championship so I can yeah. watch that. Yeah. Things like, you know, because we haven't got any major, fam- you know, there's no major events going on like weddings or kids mm. having babies or, you know, so it's just trying to try not to look too far ahead, you know, just trying to um, trying to focus on shorter term things. 
And uh, of course, if we've got um, with the lockdowns, it's been it's been a strange times anyway, you know. So we've been in lockdown now for quite a few months. So it's you know you can't really do anything. You can't you can go out and walk the dogs and within ten k's or you know, but you, it's, nothing else is open really to do. So on the one hand, it's been great because I've had the kids around. On the other hand, you know they're going a bit stir crazy. I think so. Yeah, and yeah, and, and how are you? Are you sort of feeling more, are you calmer and happier within yourself now? How are you coping? Yeah, I, I feel, um, I feel lucky to have got this far, mate, is how it, how I feel, really. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, I feel lucky that I've had this time that I didn't think I'd have. And so, and I feel actually feeling, you know, reasonably good and optimistic even though the stats would still suggest otherwise, you know, but who's to know, you know, the, the when you've worked in medicine for a long time, Sam, everyone's got these sort of stories where people have, you know, unexplained, on you know, for reasons which aren't quite explained, come back from sort of, you know, quite disastrous situations. And, you know, while not wanting to be unrealistic, at the moment, things are going pretty well, and you know, just take it as it comes and uh, try and enjoy the time I've got with the kids and uh, with Joe, and 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 plan for getting over to England for the if I can later in the year if things ease if things ease up because I haven't seen my parents or my brothers or my sister since it all started, you know. So my my final question really is just like, how has it affected your interpretation of? just life generally because so many of us struggle with anxiety mm. or low moods day to day and sometimes for no serious reason and we carry guilt with us a lot of the time as well and one of the most recurring things is, is you kind of say to yourself internally it might be something very trivial like a little row or a money issue or a career issue or whatever it is and you think fucking hell you know at least I haven't got cancer do you know what I mean yeah. So yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying is when you've gone through something like this, yeah. is there is there the sort of perspective that we would imagine suddenly descends upon you and the other stuff, the little day-to-day stuff, it is is easier to cope with? You know what, mate? I was hoping I'd get some sort of wisdom associated with all this, mm. but uh, maybe it's going to come later. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, I think you certainly, there's a bit of, not trying not to get involved with all the sort of, you know, bollocks arguments mm. that happen, that it happens in every family and that happens all the time. Yeah. I've sort of probably got a bit less tolerance for that. But of course the one advantage is I can immediately play the cancer card and say, look, this is stressing me out and everyone stops. So it's been good in terms of, uh, been good yeah. in terms of crowd control in the family. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of general perspective, Sam, um, only that uh, possibly, and I know this sounds like a terrible cliche, but, you know, everyone talks about living in the moment and, or trying to live in the moment, but not to be, because I would be the same. I, I If I was feeling like shit and I was in bed all day, I'd then start to feel bad because I hadn't spent some time talking to my kids and, you know, what am I doing lying in bed? Because, you know, I might only have this amount of time and I need to get up and do, you know, do something or not just wait for the inevitable. Mm. Whereas I think maybe, you know, just to 
just to take things as they come and appreciate the little things, you know, with the appreciate the little successes and the little good things. Cause everyone, you know, we've all got to go through bad shit, aren't we? You know, and it comes to everyone, all this stuff, but um, it's uh, yeah. I wish I did have a bit more of a sort of, you know, grand wise insight into how the world works. But mm, mm. If, if I do, I'll, uh, I'll let you know, mate. Well, mate, let's not, you know, you're, you're still in the middle of this battle, if we can call it that. I don't know what the right language is to use, but, you know, yeah. I'm, it's an inspirational story, the way you dealt with it. I think I can tell just by the way you speak about your family that you've got a wonderful setup in your life. You've got a beautiful family and a lot of love in, in, the, in the house that you've got there. And I think... That's really amazing, and it and it must have just been such a huge help to you, and um, yeah, and 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 you know, Spinji, you you are a positive person, mate. You got a positive way of speaking, and I think the the real thing is, and I speak on behalf of those listening as well, is that we're privileged that you've chosen to share it because different people respond in different ways. I don't know how other how many other patients you've been speaking to during this, if you've met any through treatment or whatever, but I, I'm sure there's a wide range of different reactions, but. By sharing this, it demystifies so much. It kind of takes away the stigma that we talked about earlier in the conversation about yeah. cancer. Some people don't even like to use the word cancer, do they? There's so much, dis- so much discomfort around all of this stuff. And it's there so is. much yeah. better because it's going to visit. It will visit all of us at some point, whether it's us or someone close to us. That's the horrible truth about cancer, isn't it? My mum had cancer. Yeah about yeah. i guess 13 years ago and it was an awful time but i tell you this much like it was so bad because i'd never had a conversation like this with anyone i hadn't heard conversations like this cancer was a word that you just wouldn't people would have code words for it like the big c or whatever exactly and it, right. it, it's exactly so right. it's so much healthier to to, yeah. to have these conversations out in the open isn't it because then it just feels less intimidating if you ever have for to everyone. encounter it yourself, yeah. For everyone, yeah, yeah. So I want I mean, to thank you for that, mate. That's a pleasure, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. And the other, the one other thing was, you know, I always, before this all happened, whenever I was looking after patients who had cancer, you know, you'd all, I'd always come out with the, I always had my little, you know, thing. You'd say, look, mate, just, you know, all you got to do, get this operation over and done with, get onto the next bit, get better, mm. get home get over the next bridge and just take it up, take each bridge as it comes, you know, cross that yeah. bridge, get onto the next one. And it was a bit of a sort of, um, you know, spiel that you'd give people sometimes, you know, and trying to reassure them and or trying to, you know, help them in a tricky situation. But to be honest, that probably is, for me anyway, that's the only way you can do it. Because mm. otherwise you go crazy trying to look too far ahead, you know. There you go, Paul Hales. What a likeable, honest and brave bloke. I hope you got as much out of listening to him as I did. I really think his take on the trauma and chaos unleashed by a cancer diagnosis might really help people. Please get in touch and let me know what you thought of the chat. Remember to subscribe to The Reset at samdelaney.substack.com. You get my weekly newsletter on mental health and this podcast emailed directly to your inbox. You can follow me on Instagram too, at The Reset Sam. Until next time, folks, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 